This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey there, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 269, recorded Monday, May the 16th, 2016. You know what I just noticed, Chris? What? That the, the, the opening uh, uh, the opening title sequence where it says this is a podcast dedicated to the uh, the Walking Dead. Yeah. We should add and spinoffs at the end of that. <laughs> okay. Why we're, not? Because we're also dedicated to the uh, Fear of the Walking Dead, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. So I think we need to add a uh, and spinoffs at the end of that. All right. Um, do you want to? I'll let you be in charge of that. So you record yourself doing it and then I'll cut it into the beginning. Sure, at twice twice speed. Sure, why not? So it sound like a chipmunk, and I'll uh, I'll inhale some helium before I do it, and it'll be all good. You'll sound like a double chipmunk. That's right. That's the thing. Double chipmunk. <laughs> double chipmunking. You never double chipmunk, man. Sorry, we just got. Uh, you know, we basically did the title opening sequence, and I've already derailed the conversation. That's okay. It's it's sort of relevant. I mean, we are talking about a different show here. The I've always considered the opening to refer to the entire Walking Dead universe. But I, it right. doesn't really. I mean, it, it says a podcast dedicated to the TV show, yeah, The Walking Dead. Okay, so I'm <laughs> I'm totally way off base. But what are you gonna do? It's close enough. I mean, The Walking Dead is in the title of this one too. So that's true. That's true. So it's there. Uh, this is number two sixty nine. Like I said, we're going to talk about uh, season two, episode five, primarily of Fear the Walking Dead. Um, now just before we started recording, well, actually just before we got on the Skype call, Jason, I, I spilled tea all over my MacBook <laughs> and, uh, I'm a little worried that this may not go well. So far it's holding up and I, I don't think too much went in the case, but okay. I did pour tea on it by accident. So, uh, you need to go get some, um, rice and yeah. pour it over top of the, uh, the keyboard. Do you think that would be a good idea now? Or should I worry about that later after we're done here? You should worry about that later after we're done here. Because okay. the damage that it's going to do is probably already done. Yep. What you want to do is you want to soak up that water somehow, and rice will absorb uh, uh, water from the atmosphere around it. So it'll probably help with that. Yeah, I know. I need to pack it in rice, leave it in a box for a week, and everything will be fine. But I can't do that because we have to record a podcast, which we're already doing. So hopefully it survives. All right. Lemon juice. That'll get it out. Oh, good. Good plan. Good plan. Because water goes with lemon juice. It does. Water with a little pinch of lemon tastes very nice. Mm-hmm. I don't think the computer likes it, but I know I do. Okay, let's look back at last week on Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, the ratings, of course, are the first thing we're going to talk about. Last week was... Wait a minute. I said season episode five. We're talking about episode six tonight, aren't we? Oh, man. <laughs> yes. Sorry, disaster everyone. Disaster already. It, it totally is. Episode six. Last week, episode five had 4.41 million viewers. So it's down a little, but I think it's still in the comfort range for this show. 4.41. Okay. It's in my comfort range. Well, good. Uh, the, you know, in the last three, it had been 4.73, 4.8, now 4.41. So in between four and five, fluctuating a little bit. But as we said, we sort of thought it would come down from the initial surge at the beginning and level off into a comfortable range. And I think that comfortable range has become between four 
and five million per episode. Maybe yeah. maybe it'll pop up again next week when we're on the last episode uh, before the mid-season break. But four point four one, about a third of what the main show does. Yeah, my comfort zone is about four point two five to four point eight seven. Somewhere in that range would be uh, would be fine. So, so this falls with this falls well within that range. So I'm good. Good. So if you're rating Jason, everybody, make sure the rating is right in his comfort zone there. <laughs> yeah. Well, by if you're rating me by millions of listeners, or, uh, that'd be good too. So 4.41 million listeners would be uh, quite acceptable. There'd be for me. nothing wrong with that. No, Absolutely. At all. If we could ever get to over 4 million people, wowie zowie. Uh, all right. Let's take some listener feedback now. I don't usually do this, but let's play it this week. Listener feedback. So this is about last week's episode. Uh, we're going to take a look back here. Ralph in Brooklyn writes, Daniel Salazar is driving me crazy. When his character was first introduced, Daniel seemed like a good judge of character, an observer of, of, an observer of situations and resourceful problem solver. Lately, he's been making some really amateur tactical decisions like losing sight of Chris at the plane crash or emptying a handgun on a horde of zombies on the beach instead of leading his people away. In this episode, he ignores all his PTSD from torturing and prisoner of war experience and gives the youngest, most immature, and mentally fragile member of the group the responsibility of guarding a dangerous pirate. Maybe this is how he thinks the children can grow up. Meanwhile, he's still overprotective of his own daughter. All very true points. So he sticks Chris in charge of watching Reed, who I, I do enjoy being referred to or enjoy referring to him as a dangerous pirate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know they're pirates, you know, they're on, they're on the water. They, they boarded a ship, tried to take it over. Yeah. A dangerous pirate with a big piece of rebar stuck through him. Yeah. It was, you know, that's, that kind of lowers the danger level of this particular pirate. Sure. But he was the, he was the most, um, uh, just mean <laughs> of all he the was, pirates, yeah. you know, v most verbally abusive, most physically abusive. Yeah. And the most rebar filled and the most crowbar filled. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, what was Daniel trying to prove here? Just put Chris in charge and be like, hope you can do it. Or was it just an oversight? You give people responsibilities and, uh, hope that they step up to, uh, to, to, to meet them. I guess. In this case, he failed. Well, he ended up killing him, so it's probably a failure, yeah. Oh, maybe. We don't know if he uh, if he turned before and needed killing. We just uh, we just simply don't know. Well, we do, Jason, I think. I think I've got a couple more emails. The next two emails here are on this very topic, and the one after that is just uh, some more thoughts on Chris. So first, we're going to start with Sue in Sydney, Australia. Sue writes... I feel Chris shot Reed before he had died naturally from his injuries because Chris got upset that he may have messed up Maddie's prisoner exchange plan for his dad. If Reed had actually died before Chris shot him, Chris would not have felt bad about ruining their chance of getting his dad back because Reed would have already been dead. So the fact that he, the fact yeah, that he was upset. In a purely logical way, yes, that makes sense, but... It's still, uh, when you get people's emotions involved, uh, you know, maybe he still blames himself even though there was nothing he could do. Mm, okay. Well, what about this one? Joe in Bridgewater, England writes, and pay attention here. I'm attention paying. Joe writes, Chris shot Reed when he was alive. If he had turned into a zombie when Chris shot, 
if he had turned into a zombie when Chris shot him, he wouldn't have fallen unconscious only to suddenly wake up later. Zombies don't do that. If Chris had shot zombie Reed and missed his brain, then he would have carried on being a zombie. What we saw was Connor's brother reanimating for the first time. Yeah, that's the clincher. <laughs> so when you shoot a zombie and miss the brain, they don't just go unconscious and then wake up again. Yeah, well, unless they have residual memories of uh, falling asleep. Eh. I'm sleepy now that I've been shot, because being shot would make me sleepy. It might make you a few other things before sleepy, but yeah. yeah. Oh, bleedy. It would make me bleedy. That's the word I was looking for. Right, bleedy, sleepy, close. Um, yes, but the fact that he, he, was, he was unconscious or just not a zombie yet, I yep. think proves that Chris shot him when he was alive. That Yeah, that's the clincher. I now believe it. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I now will put that into the category of true fact. That it is, is known. canon to the show, and it is known. Yeah, it is so known. So be it. Uh, all right, finally here, Dan in York, UK, has some more thoughts on Chris's actions. This one's a little longer, but I really enjoyed it. So uh, Dan writes, I disagree with Chris, meaning the character, not me. Oh, come on now. <laughs> Don't sell yourself short. It, most of the time, to be fair, people are mean me when they say they disagree with Chris. Right. But, you know, this show has a character with the same name, so it deflects some of that off of me sometimes. It's great. Right. Plausible deniability. Yeah, that's right. Dan writes, Excellent. I disagree with Chris. He didn't mess the trade up. He saved it. Madison lied to Connor when she said they hadn't done anything to Reed yet. In fact, Reed has a fucking crowbar sticking through his torso. With Reed alive, the crew have two options. A, remove the crowbar. If Reed survives the trauma of that, he's going to bleed to death in short order. B, leave the crowbar in. If Reed survives the trauma of being maneuvered through the boat's corridors with a crowbar through his torso, there's a real possibility of him, accidentally or on purpose, puncturing the raft, leaving our heroes in a very vulnerable position from which to try and trade. Plus, he's either bleeding profusely or still has a crowbar sticking out of him, and either way, that might tip Connor off that Reed is not as fine as Madison made out. Having Reed be a zombie is the perfect solution. They can remove the crowbar and still have him be able to move around, and he's not going to bleed for long so they are able to change his shirt. <laughs> However, it doesn't look like... Uh, it doesn't look likely that the crew would realize this until it was too late to kill him and have him reanimate. So bravo to Chris for jumping the gun there. Yeah. I don't know about changing his shirt. Have you ever tried to change the shirt of a zombie? It's not easy. Man, I... It's like be worse than a changing the shirt of a toddler. I was just going to say, I've tried to change the shirt of a kid, and that doesn't always go as planned. <laughs> and, and you know, sometimes they try and bite you when you're changing their shirt. Uh-huh. But uh, a zombie will always try and bite you while you're, they're changing, you're changing their shirt. Pretty much. Pretty much That's always. the only questionable part for me is... You can't change their shirt because it's a zombie. Right. And really, they don't care. They can walk around in the dirtiest, rattiest, grossest, hole-ridden shirt in the world, yeah. and they won't mind. That's obvious from the zombies we've seen before, is that uh, they really don't care about <laughs> soiled, soiled clothing. Nope. They have no fashion sense at all. Yeah. Them zombies, they are not vain. Um, anyways, but it's a good point. Yeah. It's he, a he, saved, he saved the exchange, because otherwise there would be no way to make it happen really realistically well you could always uh if you had some kind of power saw or a dremel tool of some kind you could cut the rebar and then wrap duct tape around a living person it would hurt like a bitch, but uh you know it would and then you could change his shirt <laughs> <laughs> yeah but again like doing all that stuff i mean you 
who knows? He probably wouldn't survive any of that anyways, right? Maybe. I don't know. That's how they, when people get, uh, impale themselves on, selves on shit, they cut the rebar or cut the bar, the, the whatever they've uh, impaled themselves on. And then they take the sucker to the hospital. They wrap it bandages. They put him in the ambulance and they take him to the hospital. They don't just, you know, wait until he dies oh. so that it's easier to transport him to the hospital. I know, but I don't know if cutting a crow, well, cutting a crowbar is going to be really hard and you need very specific tools for that. Yeah, well, I'm sure they have the jaws of life on the, sure. on the boat somewhere. I'm I'm sorry, getting out a hacksaw and hacksawing through a crowbar while well, it's hacksaw, stuck through someone, that's going to kill the person. I'm thinking power tool, some kind of uh, cutting tool because <laughs> they have you know, a hacksaw boats. might be a little bit hard. Because right. if we know anything from Mad Max, it takes a long time to cut through uh, steel and it takes a lot less time to cut through your ankle. Yeah, bone is soft compared to crowbar steel. Uh, anyways, thank you everyone for writing in about, uh, about Chris. Next email here is from Steven on the internet. Am I the only person who thought the bags on the heads looked really stupid? When Reed became zombified, I was wondering how they could pass off his bloodied face in a swap. Oh, that's right. Put his head in a bag for no reason. Uh, kidnap victims are only ever blindfolded so they don't know their location or kidnappers, which is not the case here. I think the writers knew this looked silly so what did they do? They put Travis's head in an identical bag again for no reason. Sorry, I wasn't fooled. <laughs> the thing about this is I think putting the bag over the head of zombie Reed is a great idea. I mean, you can't just walk zombie Reed up because that's obvious to everyone involved that something isn't right here. Hey, hey, look, a zombie. Yeah, that's the first thing everyone would say. So you put a bag over his head, which, uh, you know, outwardly has no obvious reason. Because everyone knows everybody already. They know where they are. They don't have to hide their location. But the fact is you're hiding the fact that he's a zombie. And now maybe that should be enough to tip off the other people. But in this case, it wasn't. And they had a bag over Travis's head. So there must have been some sort of bag agreement made that we didn't see. I would assume so. That's all I can think. They were on the radio and they said, we're going to bring out read but we're going to put a bag over his head because that's what you do and and connor said okay we're going to bring out travis we'll put a bag over his head because agreed that's what you do in these situations and and everything will be okay yeah well everybody should have worn a bag on their head <laughs> just to confuse you know everything like oh my god what's going on here everybody's wearing a bag you know just uh, any any subtle confusion you can cause in the enemy is uh, is a bonus it really is yeah if everyone wears a bag over their head somebody falls off the dock they walk the wrong way well, it, you know, you have to pick your bags carefully because uh, you pick the ones that are, you know, that do let some light through. So seeing into a bagged head is uh, difficult, but seeing out of a bag uh, is easier. They have like the pillowcases, for example. It's hard to see what's underneath a pillowcase, but if you put a pillowcase on your head, you can see shapes and motion, and especially in bright sunlight. Huh. I'm going to try that on the weekend. What, you've never worn a pillowcase on your head when you try and when you go outside and uh, rake, rake the lawn? <laughs> well, I'm going to now. <laughs> How and, else do you rake the lawn? And see and see if the neighbors <laughs> With a hat? Call, call the police. Yeah. <laughs> wear a bag, wear a pillowcase and a hat. Just to cover all your faces. That'd be funny. I'm gonna send a picture of me doing that. <laughs> uh next email comes from Chris on the internet, and this may be the shortest email I've ever read, but it's regarding what Travis pulled from the book. Right. To pick the lock. Chris writes it was a paperclip. Oh, well, there it is. There it is. Uh, I don't know how, I don't know if that was obvious in the show, but I mean, I guess a paperclip could be in a book and you could try to use that to pick a lock. 
you definitely could. Donna in San Francisco writes, uh, I just had to write in after listening to your latest podcast where you were discussing Alex. I saw the whole Alex Travis interaction as pretty uh, critical to a developing storyline. The reason is as follows. It appears Alex is the person who betrayed them all and not Jack. Up till this point, we all assumed uh, Jack and Alicia were responsible for the Abigail takeover. This scene between Alex and Travis showed us that showed us that wasn't true. Jack knew all about the Abigail and kept the knowledge from his crew. He tried to protect Alicia and her family from them. Alicia had assumed it was all Jack's fault. If she had known it was Alex and not Jack, she might have asked him to join her as she fled. That to me appears to set up uh, for a future storyline. A love storyline. Yeah, a love connection. So I I think, you know, we just maybe haven't seen the end of Jack or Alex necessarily. Um, I don't know if they're going to come back next week. Uh, they didn't come back this week, but maybe they're not done from the show altogether. It does feel like kind of a couple of loose ends out there, you know? Yeah, they're totally done. You think so? Yeah, I think they're too minor to come back later. Even Alex? Yeah. No. I don't think they'll be back. I think Alex was so, so wronged, just wronged so much, so badly <laughs> that she has to come back. She needs to, she, her character needs to have some closure to that, I feel like. And it would just be weird if, if she never came back. It might not be for a while, you know, but I think it would be weird if, if they just let that go. Jack, on the other hand, who cares? Like he's just a guy in another group and Alicia used him to get what she wanted more or less. He, we might never see him again, but Alex, Alex, I think has to come back. Well, we all know my track record on predicting what's going to happen in the future <laughs> uh, with yeah. this particular season. So uh, my, my gut feeling is that Alex is not coming back, which pretty much guarantees that she'll be back next week. Yeah, probably next week. That's right. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the group is sort of farther away now from, from that location, but we will see. Don't know. Um, it depends on whether Alex knows, you know, what, where they were going. I, can't remember now if she knew what their goal was. I don't think so. She wasn't on that Abigail for very long, so. No. Um, Trav, where am I? Travis in Ozark, Missouri. I am really enjoying this season of Fear the Walking Dead. My favorite thing about this season is how the characters are put into circumstances that make you realize things about yourself and your own moral character. For example... When Alicia fought with the pregnant lady, I realized I am the type of person who would yell at the TV and encourage someone to, quote, punch her in the pregnant belly, end quote. <laughs> I used to think I was a decent fellow. After I said that out loud, I realized I was probably wrong. Thanks, Fear the Walking Dead, for clarifying that. Man, I'm a bad person. <laughs> I am not a nice guy. <laughs> I'm sure you didn't mean it. I'm sure that, you know, really, if this was reality, you wouldn't say such a thing. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, if it, it was, was the heat of the moment, it's a TV show. I don't think you're a bad person. No, 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 no. What you think while watching a TV show stays between you and the TV show. That's right. It doesn't have to be a reflection on the way you feel in real life. Now, he did say he yelled that at the TV, so it really didn't stay between him and the TV. But, you know, Travis, we don't hold it against you. No. And uh, it's very important to remember that the uh, the TV will never tell on you. No, for what you watch on the TV, uh, right? And yeah, and I'm glad for that. 
personally. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the TV and the internet never tells. Wait, the internet does. Internet might tell. Oh, TV yeah. doesn't. TV does TV not. won't tell. Internet, uh, internet keeps secrets. Lots and lots of secrets. Yeah, they're known as weblogs. <laughs> That's right. Everyone go turn off your Google search history. <laughs> oh, that doesn't help. No? That might help you hide things from your wife, but it won't help you hide things from the internet. Oh, the internet, the internet knows, knows, all. knows Yeah. All right, finally here, before we talk about this week's episode, uh, just something really quick here. Donald on our Facebook page wrote, Hey, regarding the plane plot hole, what if it's a different plane? Only thing connecting that plane is Alex. Uh, nothing else, right? I don't recall seeing a number or anything to confirm it's Flight 462. It's not hard to believe that there was more than one plane crash versus a time vortex, right? <laughs> <sighs> Maybe the plane accidentally duplicated itself while going through a time vortex. Well, now you're just getting totally crazy. <laughs> that's just weird, man. Yeah, that's just weird. Uh, could be a different plane. I Here's the thing. To put this to rest, I think the show's intention 100% was that the plane Nick saw flying over the safe zone or the town they were in before the nine day time jump was flight 462 and it was crashing at that time. And we just have to pretend that the nine day time jump never happened. Willful suspension of disbelief. Yeah. I mean, sure. There could have been lots of planes up there, but you know, you don't show a plane and then pretend it's not the same plane. I don't think. Yeah. I just heard big thunder outside. I think we're getting a storm. Is that what that was? Yeah. I heard it coming through your, your end of the microphone. Wow. I wonder if everyone, everyone, anyone heard the thunder. That's exciting. I figured your kids were jumping around upstairs or something. Well. Or your, or your wife. Sometimes they do that. Um, but that was thunder. So we uh, could huh. be in for a little storm here. All right. Well, if the computer doesn't crap out from tea being poured on it, maybe it'll crap out when the power goes out. <laughs> maybe your computer will get struck by lightning. Fingers crossed, everyone, that things keep going here. <laughs> yeah. Keep your tongue out of the light socket for the next uh, half hour. Oh, but I usually put it in at this time every night. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about this week's episode, Jason. It's season sure. two, episode six. That, uh, not what I said before, which it was five. This episode is called Sicket Service. What does that mean? Well, I did look it up. Um, and this comes from heavy.com. Sicket Service. They gave a bunch of, uh, um, meanings for it, but this is the one that I think applies the most. They said it comes from Psalm 41.2 in Latin. And the phrase uh, and I won't read the Latin because I'll just pronounce it all wrong and it's uh, not important. The English translation of that phrase is, um, as the deer long for the springs of water, so my soul longs for you, O God. Well, that's nice. Well, it, I think it sort of applies to this episode. I, I Absolutely applies. I think. Um, the AMC description about this episode is conflict erupts in a final push towards Strand's destination. Chris makes a decision that shakes the family and Nick meets a new maternal figure. Well, that's nice too. We'll see. They've got it all covered. So um, let's talk about this episode, Jason. Um, I think there's a lot to talk about on this one. And let's start, let's start with a couple of, things that I think are slightly sort of smaller things. First of all, um, I'll just say I really enjoyed the cold open. 
yes. in the church with the priest, uh, giving his sermon about how, you know, God isn't doing this and that we can fight against this and we don't have to give in. Uh, you know, when questioning sort of why God would, would bring this kind of evil upon humanity. Um, and then when they all go outside and their eyes start to bleed, you don't really know what's going on yet at that point. And I'm like, what? Eyes are bleeding. This is yeah. new. There's crossover with True Blood. It was a little True Bloody. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Except these people weren't crying. No, they were not crying. They were not. Um, but what I liked about it is it got me, it totally got me intrigued. And I'm like, wait a minute. Eyes are bleeding. What's going on here? We haven't seen this kind of thing before. Is this, is this like a new Walking Dead early outbreak phenomenon or something. What's going on? Now we find out later it's because they were poisoned and I guess the poison was making their eyes bleed. But within this cold open taken for itself, I thought it was really effective. It was effective. I And uh, they didn't use the, uh, the standard uh, Walking Dead sound or the uh, Fear of the Walking Dead sound for the... Uh, they've been kind of going on and off. One episode has the sound. One episode uses background sound from the uh, from the episode. Then the next one has the sound yep. and the one after that. So this is... Uh, we're on a not standard background sound uh, episode. Right. So next week it should be the standard background title sound. That's right. I think it is a million times more effective when they do it this way. I like this but this way better too. Really, really do. It's, uh, I don't know. I think it really works. I noticed that the little AMC Presents comes up in the corner and then it just transitions into the title card. And uh, when you don't get that sort of shocking, loud, obnoxious kind of sound, it just blends in with the scene. I really, really like it. So um, I hope they do it more often, frankly. Yeah, me too. Um, anyways, this whole scene I thought was just a great tease for the rest of the episode. Uh, really, really fun. And then the other thing that I thought we should talk about just before we get into the real meat of this one was getting across the border into Mexico. Is it yeah. just me or did it seem way too easy? So I had a note about that and I'm glad you brought this up is yeah. I'm confused by the whole thing. I'm confused by motivations. I'm confused by execution. I'm confused by uh, lack of resistance. So I don't know what they're... The, okay, so we have the military. We've established that these the are the, this is the military. Yep. Uh, they have some kind of makeshift and or semi-official blockade of uh, the Mexican shoreline. Yep. Right? Yep. So they're preventing people from landing in Mexico. So what they want, what we've... What we've have here is we have a bribery system to bribe the officials to let them land in Mexico. We heard them say something about gold bars while while they were hiding in the engine room of the yeah of the the boat. Uh, Abigail, yeah. So the uh, yeah, there's gold bars. So they want to be paid. Mm -hmm. So I'm confused by a couple of things here. Mm -hmm. One, the, I'm confused that the military is still functioning. Yeah. Either it's uh, a haphazard kind of way, whether they just feel like they still should be sort of functioning, uh, even though they don't have a complete command structure anymore. I have no idea. But uh, so I'm confused. Uh, I'm surprised that the military is still functioning in any way, shape, or form, that everybody's not just going, screw this crap, I'm fending for myself. So because they're still, they're not just out for themselves, survival, they are actively defending the Mexican shoreline. And, and, what, and what's the point? 
right? Because yeah. So what's the point? If, Why if, are they doing this? Like, there's not really anything to defend anymore. They're there, there's the humanity or society has fallen, has crumbled yeah. by yeah. this. And point. they proved that by letting them go because Strand said they they just assume that uh, whatever's on shore is going to kill us. Yeah. So what are they defending? Right. Like yeah. I mean, are they just are they just in there for in it for the money? But what's what's money <laughs> worth in, in yeah. at this point? <laughs> That's my second confusion. Right. Why are they taking bribes? Yeah. It doesn't maybe, make any sense. Maybe the bribe is just a front for we want to get on your boat and then take your boat sure, because we if, want more boats. Well, and I guess that could help explain why they let them go to land because they're going to abandon the boat and then the boat is all theirs. I guess. Uh, that makes sense. That's the first actual thing that makes sense to me in this whole exchange. Right. Well, I agree with you. It didn't seem it, – it felt too easy. But none of it really made sense. Now, that being said, I liked sort of how the scene was done. Having everyone hide in the engine room, I could sort of feel the tension in that scene. And I, and I felt like I was there with them and I was scared and we were hiding and having the voices up above um, and being translated by Daniel. I thought that was all yeah. pretty effective. I really liked that too. And I'm glad you brought that up as well because <laughs> I had that as a note that I liked that we went down with the cast members into the engine room and took it from that point of view with uh, with the translations coming quietly through the door. Yeah. it's It keeps you with the cast. It keeps you sort of feeling confused like they are, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, and I kind of like that kind of thing. Uh, one of the things I liked most about Signs, you remember the M. Night Shyamalan movie Signs with Mel Gibson and Abigail oh, yeah. Breslin and that other guy and then Joaquin Phoenix? Yeah, I, yep. Uh, I liked that movie. That was one of, that's the last M. Night Shyamalan movie that I actually liked. And oh. one of the reasons I liked that movie was that uh, I'm afraid of spoiling things. <laughs> I'm afraid of, I've, I've now got uh, spoiler fear. So I'm going to spoil Signs. Okay. Is that okay? I think that's okay. Everyone, if you don't want to be spoiled on signs, and you might because it's an M. Night Shyamalan movie, jump ahead a little bit. All right. Aliens invade mm -hmm. in signs. Yes, but we do. don't get the global alien invasion like we did in Independence Day. Uh, sorry, sorry, spoiler for Independence Day. It's in the trailer, <laughs> so screw it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's a spoiler. All right. So aliens invade, but we get this whole alien invasion from the point of view of a small family living on a farm and uh, what they experience and what they see on TV. We don't get the global picture. We don't see spaceships landing and shooting people. We don't see the big, uh, you know, explodey kite kind of things like we do in Godzilla, even though that's not really an aliens movie. Uh, uh, so Mars attacks, for example. Uh, so I like that kind of, uh, that kind of feeling that we got uh, in this episode where we went with the crew into the engine room and we heard the shootout through the door and we kind of, we didn't know what was going on. We sort of half knew what was going on. And then all of a sudden it got out of hand and we could tell and holy crap, what's going on here. I really like that. I, I'm glad that they did that this way. Yeah. And then we hear the shooting and that's when everyone sort of, well, that's, that's when they decide to run back up there and, and try to try to get away. But uh, I, I just think it just, it keeps you with, with the characters. It doesn't put you in a situation that, that as a viewer, you're not really part of at all. Right. It would have been weird if we'd suddenly been following Louise and him making his deal with, 
you know, with these, these military guys and trying to pay them off. Um, because that's not who we've been following for two, a season and a half now. Right. Yeah. That's right. So, so, so really well done. But then after that, yeah, they shoot at them for a while. The Abigail, I guess, just guns, it guns, it sails away, heads towards shore and they go, Oh, they're going ashore. So we'll let them go. Yeah. I don't know. It seemed funny. And, and the fact is they're guarding the water, but they're not guarding the land border because I guess they could just walk across the border once they got on land. Oh, there's other guys guarding the land border. Like this is the, the, but you know, some kind of makeshift Navy. Yeah. But it's easier to sneak across the land border, I guess, because. Well, they're bribable. Yeah. For some reason, they they have a contact that confirmed that this particular way into Mexico was uh, open to bribes. Right. So that they said, okay, all we need is a couple of gold bars. I mean, how hard is it to find a you know a couple of kilos of uh, gold? <laughs> Everyone has that sitting around, don't they? Yeah, you know, you dig through the couch cushions. That's right. You know, you get yourself a gold bar. <laughs> if and, only, man. Uh, <laughs> in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. But you just got to keep digging. Um. So, yeah, they got through that blockade rather easily. They just stopped shooting. You, you'd think that some kind of even a paramilitary or quasi-military organization would have some kind of hardware to stop an actual boat from running the blockade. Well, that's the thing. And I think what I said earlier, though, and, I, and that just occurred to me, that maybe if, if it's the boat they wanted, then maybe letting them go to shore is, just makes their job easier because they abandon the boat, they go to shore, they take the Abigail. Well, then why why the pretense of uh, demanding gold? And, and why shoot at the boat? Like, if you're going to puncture a boat that you want, if you're going to put bullet holes in it, it's not going to be as good a boat anymore. Yeah. So. You know, you, you go and you, uh, without even getting off of your uh, your Zodiac, you you know, you, you get down on your bullhorn and go, where are you going? And they say, well, we're going ashore. Well, what are you going to do when you get there? <laughs> we're going to get off the boat and go ashore. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a walk. Move along. Move along. You know, let them go, grab the boat yeah. after they get off. Or, you know, even, hey, hey, uh, can we have the boat when you're done with it? Yeah, sure, I'll leave the keys. <laughs> That's right. And I'll, I'll <laughs> leave them right here. Don't worry about uh, it. Yeah, no problem. I'm, we're going ashore, so you can have the boat. Hold on a minute. Yep. Do, 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 do. All right, I'm back. I got all the way through that. Good for you. I stepped on the last couple notes, though. I'm sorry. That's okay. 30 seconds. That's how long you were gone, because that's how long that that little ditty takes. There's no way I was gone 30 seconds. I went to the laundry room, closed the door, and came back. All right, 15 seconds. It runs twice when you watch Jeopardy. Okay, fine. All right, so Jason, what about the church massacre? So that's kind of the next thing here um, uh, that we saw. And as much as I sort of really enjoyed this scene because it was fun to watch, there's a couple things about it that I thought was a little slightly off-putting. So you're talking about the church massacre when our intrepid heroes arrive at the church and they get set upon by these uh, former church-going uh, people that turned into zombies. Yeah, yeah, not not what we saw in the cold open. That was that was them getting ready to go out. But now everyone's a zombie, so right. all our group gets there and they have to fight them off. It's a different massacre. Uh, yes, because it was kind of a massacre. 
Okay, kind it was, of. It was a poison. Well, I don't know if massacre applies to mass poisoning, but it was a mass poisoning. Well, well, Everybody died. Sure, sure, sure. No, this is um, this is the the massacre of the zombies at the church. Right. Um, I I enjoyed watching it, and it was it was fun. But part of me feels like, well, they had to put this in so there'd at least be a couple of zombies in this episode. Because there weren't they've many. Never been af- they've never been afraid of not doing that in the big show. Of having f- episodes that are free or mostly free, zombie-free? Yeah, yeah mostly no, zombie-free. That, that's true, but this just felt— We had zombies later on. We did, I know. We have them in the, the cellar there, but there were they were contained behind a, behind a gate— this just felt like, well, we need some zombie danger, so let's put them in here. Because right after this, we're getting to a pretty secure compound uh, where it doesn't seem like much um, can go wrong. Um, so, so I feel like they just maybe wrote this in. Now they did it pretty well. It was it was awesome, and I thought there were a number of great character moments during this this fight with the zombies. One, and the biggest one was probably Chris watching Madison in danger. I think I disagree. Just going to stop you before we move on, and I do want to talk about this, uh, but I think I, I disagree with you that this was added on to, to give us zombie danger. I think because of what you're talking about right now and what we learn about later as to why she killed all these people, mm-hmm. or not why, but how, because I don't quite understand why, but I understand how and what the sort of motivation was for her doing it. I think it was important to those two kind of stories. You, no, you're right. And in the end, in the end it was it was important. But without this scene, there would have been no zombie danger in this episode. And and that, I know that may be true. sometimes that that sometimes they're not afraid to do that. But that's the main show. This is Fear the Walking Dead. They don't have the number of viewers, and they I get the feeling they they really feel the need to put in to make sure that the zombies are are present on this show all the time. And and in a dangerous way. So they had to put in this scene. Now, they did it really well because they wrote in all this other stuff that helps explain the rest of the episode and things like that. Um, so you're right. And and I'm not too broken up about it. That's for sure. But the first thing I thought was, oh, okay. So, well, at, by the end of the episode, I thought, well, that was there clearly because they needed a few zombies. But at least it informed what we saw later. Right. Right. Now, to be uh, – you know, I also like this scene. Uh, I like the uh, the character moments that that, that showed up. I like the you know what Nick had to do, what he felt he had to do, which was uh, you know put a giant friggin' axe through this little girl's head. And you know what? At least he hesitated because yeah, it's not often on this show or the main show that someone hesitates killing a little girl. He had the kind of uh, head tilt. It was a different angle than the uh, than the pilot of The Walking Dead, but it was the same thing Rick did about the the slight head tilt, the look of disappointment and yeah. uh, resentment, and ultimate acceptance of the uh, the terrible act that he's about to commit. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I think it was very reminiscent of that. It was uh, very much a uh, a visual echo of of that and he did hesitate you're right but then ultimately he did what he needed to do yeah and he took that giant giant sledgehammer type axe and really reamed a massive crack in that girl's skull <laughs> and, and we see it later when we, we she's do. lying on the ground the only difference i think between this though between nick and, and rick here is that rick was way back in the pilot he sees the little girl zombie and Rick is confused. He doesn't know what's going on. So he's looking at her going, what? Nick knows what's going on. He knows exactly what's happening here. He hesitates, though, because he doesn't want to, 
to do it. He doesn't, maybe he doesn't know if he sort of can, or he just doesn't want to clobber a little girl in the head with an ax, even though she's a zombie. Right. And, uh, I think there's a subtle difference there. And, and it, it may say more about Nick because he has that knowledge already than it did about Rick back in the pilot because he didn't know what was going on. That's true. So, but, but you're right. It's definitely a similar scene, bit of a callback there. Um, now what about Chris watching, standing there watching Madison with a zombie on top of her and not acting? It did not, I did not think for a second that he froze. No, me either. And man, did I hate that guy in this episode? I hated him so much. Yes. So he's definitely (laughs) waiting for her to get bitten. He's definitely, uh, he's definitely being a, a a giant dick in this, in this shot. uh... (laughs) That's to put it mildly, man. I mean, this is, this is his father's wife, his stepmother. Um, who presumably has always been pretty good to him. I know he's had been through a lot lately, but man, oh man, even if you have differences with somebody, let standing there while they are, you know, in danger of being, of being murdered or eaten by a zombie, that's pretty rough. It is pretty and, rough. And I, I, I'm with you. I didn't think for a second that he froze. Like he says later, he just stood there and he waited for it to happen. And, He's a terrible human being. Yeah, he's he's a terrible human being. Terrible. Um, okay, and then the other one that the other bit in this zombie battle was Daniel. When yes. he's holding off the the little altar boy zombie and he has some kind of a flashback to either him holding the neck of some other kid who's alive back in his uh torture days, or was that kid Daniel being held by somebody else, some mystery hand? I think it was Daniel being held by somebody else. He's remembering back to ex- an experience he had similar to the, well, you know, experience that the zombie is having that he's holding right now. Yes. I, I really think so. Yeah. I, I think so too. I'm with you. I don't, I don't think it was a, oh, I've done this before. It was you know, I've been in a situation like this before and obviously whoever was doing that to me, let me live at the time. Yeah. It's not quite the same because the altar boy is, you know, an undead, but, um, I think we're slowly getting little bits of Daniel's backstory here and it's going to, it's going to just come out slowly over the course of the season and should be pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, Daniel froze this. If anybody froze during this fight, it was Daniel. That's true. That's very, very true. He, he definitely froze. And he was sitting there, and my my primary thought during this, I actually had two thoughts, but my primary thought was, you can't stab, stab an altar boy in the face. You just can't do it. And they didn't. They stabbed him in the back of the head. Ophelia runs up and gets him, yeah. right? Ophelia came in and, and stabbed him in the back of the head. So at least the altar boy didn't get stabbed in the face because I, I thought that you, you can't stab an altar boy in the face. It's just, that seems wrong. Oh, yeah. Sure, you can cleave a little girl's head almost completely in twain. That's fine because <laughs> we know this show is hard on little girls, but you can't stab an altar boy in the face. Yeah. No, you're right. You probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. That that was my secondary thought was that, uh, uh, you know, they're hard on little girls, but I couldn't really call that uh, a thing in this particular uh, battle because there were also, you know, little boys that they were having to stab in the head. Crap, I lost you. 
Uh, all right. Well, we've had some internet connectivity problems, everybody, but we're back now, so let's hope it works. And ironically, it has nothing to do with spilling tea in my laptop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, it's very ironical. Very, very. I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, but I think we were just about to get into a little bit more about Chris. At least that's where I was going to go. So um, as I said, I hated Chris this episode. Yes. I think he was absolutely just the worst person in the world. Um, But I hesitate to use the word crazy. Well, he's not crazy. He's just slightly evil. I know, but we use we throw the word crazy around all the time on this podcast, right? Rick goes to crazy town. Everyone goes crazy and back again. Yeah, he's taking the crazy highway to crazy town. Yeah, exactly. But I don't think for some reason Chris is crazy. I think he's, yeah, like you said, he's gone a little bit evil. He's like, all this bad stuff has happened to me, so I want bad stuff to happen to everybody else. Well, is he is he mad at her for some reason? Like I, I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure I understand his motivation. I have had issues with motivations in this particular episode. I understand what's going on. Yeah, but I don't quite understand people's motivations. Well, Chris is upset because everyone is mad at him um, for for killing Reed and screwing that whole thing up. Yeah. Remember, there's a scene early on in this episode where they're sitting out. Him and Travis, his dad, are sitting out on the back of the Abigail. And Chris is like, why are they all mad at me? Why are they all mad? Like, what did I do? And um, so Chris doesn't even understand how he, despite what our you know listener said earlier, he didn't save the trade. But Chris doesn't understand why everyone thinks he screwed it up so bad. And so, so he sees everyone as being mad at him. He sees the focus of that coming from Madison. And now he's like, well, if Madison wasn't around everything nobody would be mad at me anymore so i'm gonna let her get tackled by a zombie and bitten well that's just stupid well i don't agree with it either but i think that's his little teenage brain i think that's how it's working um so he you think oh i guess people who are like this uh blame everybody else for their situation so if everybody's mad at him and if madison is mad at him and is the focus of that if i just get rid of madison then nobody be mad at me anymore I think that's kind of where it's coming from. Yeah. It's not logical, but you know, he doesn't see it any other way. Um, Do, uh, do kids under the age of 30. (laughs) (laughs) And they are all kids under the age of 30. (laughs) People under the age of 30, do they uh, tend to like your kids? Do they accept responsibilities for, for their actions? Not as much as I would like. Right. Do you accept responsibility for your actions? As much as I would like. (laughs) (laughs) More often than I would like. (laughs) More often than not, yes. (laughs) All right. So he's he's just refusing to accept his own uh, part in the the, the pile of shit that that he's in. Okay. So what about the scene in the bedroom right at the end of the episode, though? He gets up in the middle of the night. He walks into that bedroom. He says Alicia's name. So what's he doing? Is he trying to wake her up or is he trying to find out if she's asleep? He's trying to find out if she's asleep. Right. Then he sees a knife on the bedside table, walks over, picks it up. And then there's a gunshot wound that goes, or a gunshot that goes off that wakes everybody up. Now you could argue that it was just bad timing. Maybe he went over to get that knife to just put it away. I don't know. You could argue that. What's this knife doing here? Well, yeah. That's not safe. That's not safe. Gotta go in a drawer. (laughs) Right. But you, it's within the realm of possibility, right? 
and but and you could say that the gunshot was just bad timing. So Madison and Alicia wake up. They see Chris standing there with a gun over their bed while they with a knife. I mean, over their bed while they sleep, and which doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. But seriously, I don't buy that for a second either. What's he doing there? Like, what's he doing there to begin with is the main thing. Why would he pick up the knife? And I think at the best case scenario, Chris has gone creepy. But at worst case, he's totally psycho. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't quite understand his motivations in in that action either. He's going to talk to Alicia. Is he going to threaten her some more? Well, that's Is he going thing. to carry out his threat from earlier? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not sure what he's doing there. And that's why I think it's unclear as to what his intention with the knife was necessarily. Like, maybe he just doesn't know. He just can't think straight. His brain is firing all these different directions. And he's like, everyone hates me, but I don't want them to hate me. You know, I'm going to go talk to her again. Like maybe he woke up in the night and felt bad and he's like, I'm going to go talk to her and apologize. Right. And, and, and that's what he was doing there, which is, which is completely something that a kid might do. You never know. Right. But, right. But, it, but it ends up just looking really bad because he's standing over them with a knife while they sleep. So I'm going to give all of our listeners some advice. And that is if you walk upon a scene, if you enter some kind of scene and there's a knife in that scene, do not pick up the knife. Like from, if I've seen, if I've learned anything from television, if you walk in and someone's been murdered with a knife and there's a bloody knife lying on the ground, don't touch the knife. Because as soon as you touch that knife, the cops are going to come. Yes. And I see mean. you with that knife and you're going to be caught. What is it called? Red-handed. Knife-handed. No red That's right. <laughs> red-handed. So... If you walk in to a room and you and you see a weapon of some kind, if you pick up that weapon and your intent can be misconstrued in any way, shape, or form, do not pick up the weapon. Nope. Good idea. Call for help. Go get help. Go get help. Do something. Just call 911. <laughs> Just probably... keep saying the sleeping girl's name. That's better than picking <laughs> up the knife. Alicia, wake up. <laughs> yeah. Alicia, wake up. I want to talk to you. Yes. Not, oh, she's asleep. I better go get the knife. Because I might want to stab somebody. So next time... Yeah, you never you, know. Next time you creep into a room where a girl and her bedroom. mother are sleeping together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bad idea. Yeah. So, okay. So I don't understand uh, Chris's motivation for doing this. And I think that this is not just a confusion on my part. I think this is a failure in storytelling. I, I think we need something. I think we need something to give us an idea of what the hell he's thinking. Well, the problem is the scene earlier in the episode didn't really give us that either. When when he first confronts or when him he first confronts Alicia about the whole thing, or she more confronts him, I guess. But, uh, um, you know, at first he kind of says, he kind of um, uh, denies anything happened, right? But then... As soon as she can, she presses him a little bit. He's like, you know, I, I froze. I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, I, I wasn't going to do anything bad. I just froze. So then he's sort of admitting that something was happening. Right. Yeah. And he finishes that whole thing with, you know, you don't tell anyone cause I don't want to hurt anybody. But even that could be misconstrued. Like, is he saying, oh, I don't want to have to hurt anybody like, you know, physically hurt them to keep them quiet or I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I don't want to hurt anyone or I don't want 
people to not like me. Like it's the actual exchange was, don't tell anybody. Yeah, and then Alicia said, "What happens if I do?" Yeah, and then he says, "I don't want to have to hurt anybody." So it it's sounds, a threat. It sounds pretty threatening. Yeah, it's a threat. Uh, all right, so Chris is a psycho. So based on that, if that's threat, if that's a threat, I think it's not an. It wouldn't be incorrect to assume he's going into that bedroom later on with uh, bad intentions. <laughs> you know, he right. might not be going in there to kill anybody, but he might be going in there to at least threaten her again. Yeah. Right? Just because you stab somebody doesn't mean you want to kill them. Well. It might just be a cry for help. I suppose. <laughs> That's a <laughs> help cry for me. help stab. I'm stabbing you. Yeah. <laughs> I can't stop stabbing you. Please help me. <laughs> Please help me. I'm too stabby. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't understand what Chris is thinking. I, I And I was hoping you could help me. And it doesn't sound like... No, there's enough information in the episode for us to understand. No, but I think I think based on see, I wasn't totally convinced the earlier scene was really threatening, but you've kind of convinced me of that. So I think based on that being a threat or a very threatening scene, I think the later um, bedroom scene is just furthering that. So I think he was going in there at the very least to threaten her again and at the worst to do something really bad. Kill her. Or yeah. kill Madison because he knew. I think maybe he he's there to. That. Yeah, maybe he knows that Madison is in the room with uh, with Alicia, and he wants to finish Madison off. Yeah, I don't know. Now, what about the scene where uh, Maddie goes to talk to Travis about this whole thing? Um, I was, and they argue about it. I I found myself completely on Travis's side here, <laughs> I, and and it's because Maddie goes in kind of already on the offensive saying oh yeah she wants to fight she's in there picking a fight we've got to do something about about your son yeah. kind of she's thing. not she's not going in there to try and figure out what's going on she's not in there to express her concerns about the situation and to possibly get further uh, input and maybe come up with a solution she walked in there to pick a fight yeah and it worked and i was like come on hold on a second travis is you know he's saying intelligent things here you know she she uh, maddie makes a reference to my daughter and travis is like it's our daughter we're a family we can work this out right yeah. i mean i know chris is <laughs> making threats and he's gonna stab somebody but we can work this out at least let's try to work this out let's not assume and jump to conclusions here um that being said as we've all just talked about i don't think there's much defending chris anymore He's now gone past the point of no return. And if, if Maddie and Travis are talking again about this and Travis still goes, well, you know, it's, we yeah. can work this all out. You know, there I don't think so. There could be a million reasons why he was standing in the room while you were sleeping, holding a knife. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't there think could, that works anymore. There could anymore. be as many as three reasons. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> three of them are he wanted to kill somebody. <laughs> well, then, no, only two of them was, uh, wanted, I wanted to stab Alicia or he wanted to stab, uh, uh, Madison. The third reason is he picked up the knife and he was sleepwalking. Like, I don't, what? Yeah. What's going on? I just, I was asleep. Mm -hmm. That's the third reason. Anyhow, I think what they're doing with Chris is at the very least interesting. And uh, I have a bad feeling somebody is not going to survive next week. And maybe it's Chris, you know, maybe he, he really goes off the deep end and someone has to take him down. Or maybe there's a fight and someone doesn't come out alive. 
Maybe. I don't but know. But then we wouldn't get his redemption storyline. Oh, God. I, he's just such a little jerk at this point. I don't want even <laughs> want to see him redeemed. Oh, <laughs> uh, we got to understand his motivations, though. He's got to explain it to somebody. I guess. I guess. Somehow. We got to find out. Somebody, somehow. Uh, let's talk about Celia and the zombies in the basement, Jason. Celia. Celia. So this is Luis's mom. And uh, she also raised Tom Abigail. Um, so I think probably you had the same reaction as the rest of the internet when it was revealed that they had zombies in a cage in the basement. Uh, my reaction immediately was, uh, you can stab, you can hit little girls with sledgehammer uh, axes in the head. You can stab altar boys in the face. You can uh, kill a whole bunch of living people in order to uh, further your goals, but do not friggin' kill a puppy. That just that just crosses the line for me. Oh, yeah. Just, do not just drop a puppy down a chute to be killed. To be eaten alive. By whatever means, because it was obviously not a good thing that that puppy was going down a chute. I was thinking, hopefully I was thinking that maybe he's putting the puppy in the kennel for the night, and this is how they do it. They put it down this little chute so down that it slide. can't get out, <laughs> so that it can't it can't get out, and it's safe for the night, and then tomorrow morning we'll let the puppy out to run in the field again. This was my hope, but then it started whimpering and crying once it got down there, and then later uh, it was revealed that they have a barn full of zombies, uh, uh, and they were eating the puppy, and that just, that you know, kill a chicken, I don't care, but... Puppies, just draw the line. It went over the line for me. Yeah, that wasn't very nice. But I think the key word that you said there is barn. (laughs) Because everybody else in the world thought, oh, God, again, they're doing this again. Because it's very reminiscent of Herschel keeping zombies in the barn. Absolutely. In season two. Now we have Celia keeping zombies in the cellar, I guess, of this house. No, I don't know if that was a cellar. That uh, That was a full on jail. Well, I don't know if this house had a jail before the zombie apocalypse or after, but uh, that was definitely some kind of jail. Yeah, it was. Now, I'm already over my initial disappointment because I actually really liked what they did here with this. And it all comes down to, I think, what Celia's motivation was. Yes. And Herschel, he was keeping people in that barn because he thought they could be cured, right? Yes. He thought they could be yeah. cured and they'd be okay again. They're not really dead. They're just sick. They're just sick. They're just sick. They need to be kept alive until we figure out how to cure these poor bastards. Exactly. In this episode, Celia thinks these still are people. Like, almost like there's nothing wrong with them, and she feels bad for them. It's what's next, is what she said. It's what's next. Yeah. It's not, they're not dead, necessarily. Well, it doesn't matter if they're dead. It's just that we live in, we're alive in this form. Yep. And everybody has to live with their ghosts. Mm -hmm. And now they're just walking around and we can see them a little more clearly. (laughs) It's just, it's just, it's part of life. It's just the next uh, stage of life is this thing, this this state that these people are in. So there's nothing wrong with that. That's just, you know, it's uh, separate yet equal. So I'm, I hesitate to say that this is way more crazy than Herschel, but in a way, this is way more crazy than Herschel. Um, and that's kind of why I thought it was okay. And, and what it explains about the church scene uh, in the cold open, I thought it was really cool. Basically, she poisons all those people in the church because they are going to go out on a 
on a mission to fight back against the zombies. Right. And she does they not go kill the zombies in the cage. That's right. Or any zombies really, but she doesn't want that to happen. So she poisons them thinking that they're better off these people as zombies than as living people going out and killing zombies. Right. That is bonkers. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's kind of why I like this. This I don't know if I necessarily farm. agree with you that it's bonkers. It's I think so that twisted. She, Come on. It, she has uh, she has motivations, and I like the way they put it, is that uh, everybody has to live with their ghosts. Now they're just walking around. Right. right? That's crazy. So <laughs> it's not crazy. I mean, we all, you know, on a philosophical kind of way, we all have to live with our demons, right? Okay. We, you know, live with our ghosts. We have friends and family that have all died. And, uh, well, they haven't all died, but we have friends and family that have died. Yes. And, uh, you've got to live with that. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's just a more physical manifestation of that. Yeah. 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 It's just, you know, sure they're dead, but, uh, you know, they're not dead, buried and gone. They're walking around, but they're still family. So put them someplace where they can't hurt anybody. And, uh, that's fine. I mean, sure. Yes. It's, it, I, I, it's, it's sad. And it's kind of twisted, but I don't think it's bonkers necessarily. But there's a line between twisted and bonkers that uh, I'm not willing to cross <laughs> somehow. But the, I mean, she's ignoring the, the the clear fact that these are walking corpses and they're out yeah. to eat you. She's ignoring yes, that. And what fact. she needs is Shane to show up and to shoot a bunch of them in the chest saying, would a living person still be able to walk around if you shoot them six times in the chest? You're right. She needs she, she needs a Shane. Exactly. I think maybe Daniel's going to end up being her Shane. Right. Uh, I don't grow know. his earlobes, get angry. <laughs> grow his earlobes and get angry, yeah. <laughs> and turn into the Punisher. <laughs> That's right. Um, God, someday I want to talk about the, the Daredevil show because I loved him so much in that. Anyways, I don't know. I think she's just, I think Celia is just ignoring the, the evidence clearly in front of her. And she's she's come to this conclusion to try and deal with the situation, to try and make herself feel better about what's going on. And and the other thing is she's converting living people into zombies. She's killing people because yes. she thinks they're better off. And that is pretty twisted. Well, she's trying to save the, like they're they're she's trying to stop them from killing uh what she considers living people. Right? They're they're going to She's going to, they're going to kill people. So I need to stop them from killing people. Right. So I need to make them, she's not killing them, you know, in her twisted logic, she's, uh, she's just moving them from one stage of life to another. Yep. So she's not killing them. Killing the zombies would, is murder. Uh, converting someone to a zombie is not murder. It's mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, forceful, forceful evolution. Yeah. It's like an evolutionary move from one yeah. thing to another. Yeah. Um, this kind of also explains why she seemed to have no reaction when she found out that her son, Luis, didn't make it. I was going to bring that up. That was very interesting. She, you know, did did you shoot him in the head? No. No. He'll find his way home. Yeah. What the hell? They they specifically (laughs) let him live on the boat, um, which is a little bit convenient for the story, I must admit, right? They didn't know what was going on with Celia yet. They weren't there yet. So they stopped, you know, Nick and Ophelia stopped um, Daniel from putting the spike, putting the knife through his head. And clearly that paid off later, later in the episode. But at the time I was like, come on, wouldn't they just, you know, poke him in the head just like he did with the other two guys on the boat? They totally would have. 
Totally. Like, absolutely. He did, he did that to his wife for crying out loud. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, he totally would have stabbed him right in the, right in the brain pan. Yeah. So, but I mean, at first, when, when we first meet Celia and they find out and she finds out that Luis didn't make it, I was like, and she's, she just seems to have no reaction. That's it. This is why, because she thinks he's better off now or he'll, yeah. or he'll come home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he'll make his way home, way home. No problem. <laughs> he should be he where we live. <laughs> That's right. So I don't know. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, it's kind of the same as Herschel, but it's different because of, of what Celia believes. And I think this honestly is a little bit more interesting of a take on the whole thing, even though I do think it's pretty, pretty nuts. Um, Herschel was just a bit confused and was like, maybe they're sick and I can bring it and I can heal them. You know, here it's just so much weirder. <laughs> yes. It's the same situation. It just has different motivations. Which I found very interesting. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, let's see. I, I, I'm pretty sure that Celia isn't going to survive next week. I, I say this about everything we talk about. Someone's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know those zombies—they're going to get out of there. All hell is going to break loose, and I think they Celia—they can't, can't do that. They can't. They, they can't, can't do, do that. that. They can't have all hell breaking loose, and they can't have a little girl come out of there, and then they have to shoot her and. Uh, they're not going to have a little girl, but the zombies are going to get out. They're going to overrun the house. I don't know. We'll see. No, they can't. They're not going to do that. They're going to go a different way. They can't do, they can't do that. I hope so. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I don't know. I'm totally not Um, right, but let's see. (laughs) Yeah. You're not right about anything. (laughs) Yeah. So are we lagged? Maybe a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. Weird. Say, say five, four, three, two, one. Five, four, three, two, one. Two, one. Five. The last two in sync? Pretty close. Okay, good. All right, we're good. Five, four, three, two, three, one. Two, one. <laughs> All right. Anyway, sorry. Um, Let's see. Uh, We can also talk about, okay, so Strand and Abigail. Strand and Abigail. And Tom Abigail. Tom Abigail. Um, I must admit, I enjoyed the scenes between these two guys. Uh, I thought the whole concept of what they did here of turns out, you know, Strand was just his sole motivation was to get back to the, to the man he loved. And then he gets there and finds out that he's about to die. It was really tragic. It was really tragic. And I'm, I'm, I wanted to, I'm glad you brought this up too, because I wanted to talk about Strand and I was uh, waiting for it to happen. So I'm uh, at the beginning of this, I was trying to figure out Strand's motivations all about but motivations for you. It, this one was, absolutely. I, my first notes, this is why my notes were all jumbled, because I started out by saying I'm confused by motivations and then listing them all, but then realized that we needed to interweave them into other ways of uh, talking about the story, like going by storyline by storyline. So, yes, everything in this this episode confused me about motivations. I don't understand anybody's motivations except Strand's now. Right. Strand is becoming is is coming more into focus for me. And I'm so glad because I did not understand him up until this episode. Right. Well, clearly he was just trying to get back to to Tom. And he would do anything he could to do yeah. that. Right. He would shoot you, he would cut that boat loose, he would uh he would do whatever he needed to do in order to get back to the man he loved. Yeah. And then when he did and he finds out that 
the guy has the cobra symbol on his arm, <laughs> right? The, the bite mark on his arm to me looks like the <laughs> cobra symbol from G.I. Joe. Right. You're a big G.I. Joe guy though, right? I was as a kid. Oh, huge. Um, it's the first thing I thought when I saw that. Anyways, it was clearly a bite mark on his, his arm. Um, you know, he finds that out. He's, he's heartbroken by the whole thing. You know, he knows he's going to die. He stays with him. And then he even offers to kill himself so they can be together. Yeah, because he said, there's nothing for me here if you go. Right. And of course, Celia is willing to help him out because she believes Poison that, people? No problem. I'll just whip some poison up right now. I got Give some, me 10 minutes. I got some in the kitchen. I'll I'll bring them right over. Um, and her specialty is communion wafers or whatever you the call host. them. The host. Yeah. The host. Uh, yeah. Well, that's a good way to poison people, I guess. Um, and so- when they came up with this plan, Jason, Strand and, and Tom, to to go off into the afterlife together, did you think they'd actually go through with it and kill off Strand this way? Uh, no. I, I didn't think so. I thought we were going to have a Romeo and Juliet kind of thing, only it was more of a Romeo and Romeo kind of thing, <laughs> uh, where they agreed to poison each other or fake poison or whatever. I just thought that they were both, it was going to be a tragic kind of uh, oops uh, you got poisoned, but, and then I accidentally got poisoned and then I'm going to shoot you. And I don't know, it was going to be weird, very weird. Yeah. I, um, but I, I didn't think Strand was going to die. No, I didn't think they would go through with it either, but I must admit, I kind of hoped they, they would. When it first came up, I'm like, oh man, are they really going to do this? This is going to be amazing. It's yes, going to be super sad and tragic, but it's going to be, you know, it's, he's sacrificing himself for, for love and, it's it it would be a it would be sort of beautifully tragic, you know. As you said, it would be a Romeo and Juliet thing, only, you know, two two dudes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um and and I think uh I I don't know. Part of me just wishes they would have would have gone through with it, but I didn't really expect them to, and of of course they didn't. Um you know, and the scene where Madison comes in and and Strand asks her, you know, take uh, not Strand. Uh, Abigail asks Madison to take care of Strand after he's gone. That whole thing I felt was a little cliche. You see that a million times. It's like I'm dying, but take care of whoever when I'm gone. Like that happens in TV and movies all the time. But I thought to myself, oh man, if Strand actually kills himself, this cliche scene will totally be worth it. <laughs> you know, Maybe he'll kill himself next week. Okay, I'll feel Maybe better. He'll then. take uh, he'll take the host after. Uh, after shooting his uh, sh- shooting Thomas in the head, yeah, in order to make sure he doesn't come back as a zombie, and it's like, well, maybe it's okay for me to be a zombie. Well, he did that dead. already. He shot him in the head. No, yeah. So maybe next week he'll take the he'll take the uh, uh, the communion wafer and uh, and die. Yeah. Um, the other thought that occurred to me is that maybe maybe Strand never actually intended to go through with it, and he told Tom this because he could tell Tom was suffering and he was kind of holding on, you know, staying alive. And he told Tom that I'll do this to just get Tom to let go and and die. You think Tom is the kind of guy that was like, well, if I'm going to die, you should want to die too? No. And I'm happier now that knowing that you'll kill yourself because I'm going to die? I'm saying that maybe he... Maybe Strand was trying to put his mind at ease, right? He was trying to give him. By saying he's going to kill himself, that would greatly, greatly upset me. Well, if my wife said you're dying, uh, I can't live without you. I'm going to kill myself. That would be horrific. I'd be like, I'm holding on longer now. What's the matter with you? That's dumb. (laughs) 
Yeah, okay. Maybe that doesn't make any sense, but it's it's a thought I had that maybe he was telling him that everything will be okay. I'll die with you, and so you can go now, and that was it. Yeah. But you're right. Don't that does, worry, honey. That does I'll kind of, find another man pretty quick. That does sound kind of crazy <laughs> when we put it that way. So, um, yeah. Anyways, at the end of the day, I, I really enjoyed all this stuff with Strand, and uh, now that he is still alive, I hope he uh, sticks around for a long time. Yes, and that was the gunshot that uh, Chris heard and woke up uh, Madison and uh, Alicia uh, to a man standing in their room with a knife. Correct. That was the one. Yeah. So uh, lucky, it, lucky it happened. Lucky. It's all very serendipitous. It all really is. All right, one more thing before we are done with this episode, and it's Nick praying with Ophelia. So, all right, two more things, because I have something after this. Okay, fine. Two more things. Good for you. Um, Nick flashes back to the pilot while he is there praying with Ophelia. And that owl symbol that we have carved into the tree and that we saw Luis holding the coin or whatever it was, it seemed like the episode wanted to, it seemed like the episode was making us, trying to say that the owl symbol is what triggered his sort of memory. But I don't really think it was that. Now, I don't know the significance of that owl symbol. Um, maybe it has some significance, but I feel like it was just maybe Chris being in a religious setting and he started thinking back to, you know, his first encounter with a zombie back in a church way back in the pilot episode. Yeah. I don't quite understand exactly what happened there either, but you know, PTSD is a bitch and you can flash back to stuff at the smallest inclination. Yeah. I kind of thought you know, in that flashback, maybe we're going to see that owl symbol in that church somewhere. And this is going to become a thing in the episode that weaves through, uh, or in the show that weaves through multiple episodes. Um, but we didn't, as far as I could tell. And in retrospect, I'm kind of glad of that because if, if, if we'd seen that owl symbol in the flashbacks, I feel like it would have been sort of hinting at something that probably wasn't really supposed to be there. You know what I mean? Yeah, it'd be a little too supernatural for my taste. Exactly. A little Not too- that zombies aren't supernatural. <laughs> right. But uh yeah, it would be a little too a little too much for me, I think. We don't need to go the next step in the supernatural scale. That's right. Yeah. Uh but anything else about that? I mean, it seemed like also maybe they were trying to imply a little bit of a relationship forming between Ophelia and Nick. Which oh, is yeah. which is a bit weird because Nick feels kind of young for her, but maybe she's not that old. Ah, you know, it's a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. You let the uh, you let the age scale slide a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see where that goes. I thought it was interesting. Even if it just doesn't really mean anything, it's just kind of Nick flashing back. It was kind of kind of fun to see that that pilot scene again. Yeah. I thought. So the last thing I wanted to talk about is sure. uh, what people see in Nick. So I we know that Strand picked Nick because he saw something in him, his potential, uh, something that could, uh, he, you know, the, something that he could cling to. I'm not sure exactly what he saw. Well, uh, it was he was saying he's not afraid to die. You know, I think he's a resourceful kid, stuff like that. But he saw something in Nick. Yep. Right. Celia said something similar when she was talking when Nick was uh, eating. Uh, whatever she gave him. I'm not sure what it was. Oh, I forget the name Soup? of it, but it, it's like a Mexican stew. It's like yeah. some kind of stew. Yep. So he was done his uh, his stew and he got up and left and uh, Madison was there and she said something that he's he's a special, uh, he's a special boy or a special guy. Uh, he, something about he 
damn, I forget the exa- exact line, but it was, can, she I saw something. Oh, okay, go ahead. Celia says that he's, he's special and Maddie says he's impressionable. Yeah. I think. But then Celia said something else. Oh, okay. It was another line that uh, said that he has, uh, there's something more than, it wasn't just special. It was something, she saw something in him mm-hmm. that uh, was um, more than what she normally sees in other people. Yep. It's, it's more than just seeing, oh yeah, he's a special boy kind of thing. Because <laughs> uh, you say that about a lot of boys. You know, always oh, you know, he's a delight, he's a deer, he's a special boy kind of thing. I'm sure people even said that about you when you were younger. Yeah, I'm not that special. So they, you, know, you lie. That's my point. Right, right. So, uh, but Celia said something that she saw something in Nick as well. So I'm wondering if this is going to be a thing, whether there's uh, there's something about Nick that is more than the uh, what he appears to be or what he's been made out to be, which is just a uh, miraculously fast drug addiction healing kind of guy. He's uh, he's over his addiction. It's gone, right? There was no reference to it in this episode at all. No, barely in this season, really. Yeah. So he's he's over it. I mean, I, I assume that uh, heroin's pretty easy to kick then. <laughs> well, you're going to have to become addicted and then kick it and find out. The secret is to uh, wear some old man's clothes for a while. That's true. The old man jacket get... came back in this episode too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exciting. So, I guess my point is, and it's not well-formed, unfortunately, and it's not well-defended, but uh, I think there's something going on there where multiple people have stated independently that there's something special about Nick. Well, I think I think there is. Uh, he seems to be a pretty resourceful guy, and he's the kind of guy that, and I think he may have even said this himself to Alicia maybe, he almost feels more comfortable now in the zombie apocalypse than he did before. In the real world, he's a little bit like Daryl Dixon that way, you know. Daryl yep. had a tough life in his real life. Zombie apocalypse comes, suddenly he's like a super killer, you know, master zombie destroyer. And, uh, you know, he's got some demons and things to deal with, but he kind of knows what he's doing in this universe. And I yep. feel like Nick is the same way. So he's going to come into his own. He's coming into his own, exactly. And that's what they these people can see in him, Strand and Celia, and what his mother can't seem to see in him yet. Right, right. because, you know, mom moms are uh, tend to be a little blinded when it comes to their, their little boys. And overprotective and, and things yeah. like that. And that's why she says he's impressionable, right? Like, um, I think she's trying to say, Maddie's trying to say that he'll he'll latch on to anybody that is nice to him, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's kind of what's happened with Strand and with Celia and, and so on. So, you know, don't take advantage of him that way. But on the other hand, these people are seeing something in Nick that's that they they think is important or valuable, valuable skill or something like that. I don't know. Um, the, the problem is later on when we see Nick go back to Celia and she explains to him her feeling about the zombies, he seems to be almost coming on board to that mentality. And that I feel like could be problematic and that kind of holds up what maddie was saying in that he's impressionable he'll listen to anything you say yeah that's true no matter how bonkers it is <laughs> i've i had a friend like that <laughs> oh yeah he, uh yeah he would uh he had some kind of weird personality quirk that he would do anything anybody told him to do that's... doesn't matter who doesn't matter what he anybody anything anybody told him to do anything he would do it 
Not, without question, without asking nothing. Just do it. Sounds like a pretty bad character flaw, actually. <laughs> it was It was kind of, you had to be careful. You had, you had to be careful. He's the kind of guy that actually said that uh, when he has superhero dreams, he's the sidekick <laughs> in his own dream. That's weird, man. <laughs> he just needs to be told what to do. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, all right, man. This um, This episode I thought was amazing. I thought this was the best episode maybe that Fear the Walking Dead has done. There was a lot in here. There was a lot of interweaving uh, plot lines, uh, just aspects to it. There was a, there's a lot to talk about. At, when I finished watching this, my brain was a jumble. It's like, how the hell am I going to write all this down? <laughs> I know. How are we going to get through all this stuff? And we're, we're doing it and dealing with, you know, floods outside. It sounds like it's raining and, and the internet cutting out. So yeah. is your sump pump going? Uh, that's what's why we had to stop briefly before because I had to go and shut the door to the laundry room where the sump is and because it was making too much noise. Right. Okay. Well, as long as it's working. Oh, it's right? working. Your basement's yeah. not going to fill up with uh, flood water. No, no, no. I'm not up to my ankles in water here. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, anyways, I thought this episode was great. There was tons of stuff, as you said, in it. I enjoyed every minute of it. It was the way they told the story with starting with that massacre and giving us a little bit of information and then filling it all in later, I thought was really well done. Now, I know not everyone agrees, and we have some listener feedback coming up in a minute that gets into that a bit, but um, uh, I really like this one. I thought this episode was amazing, and it 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 gave us a lot of character stuff that opens up doors to go in all sorts of directions yeah. for really probably the second half of season two, but even next week. We got one more yeah. episode. Yeah, so I, I agree with you that this was a a really good episode, and there was a lot of character development and a lot of interesting things. I just wish we had a little bit more of uh, information on some motivations that have been confusing me. But if you look at the long, the long uh, storyline here, I think we'll get that stuff right. I think we will yeah. get it. They're just spreading it out, and. I'm sorry, but I, this show is getting better and better as this season goes on. It it really is. And they've left the boat. They've left the boat already. They've yeah. left the boat and they didn't burn it down. I figured for sure that they would, the boat would burn and they would have to get off and, and leave it. I think you predicted that the boat would be on fire by episode two. I did. <laughs> and they'd yeah, be back I was on land. <laughs> wicked wrong. But uh, yeah, you burn a boat to uh, motivate the, the sailors to make sure that they forage or forge a, a life on shore. Because if that boat still exists, there's always that possibility of, shit, this is not working out. we got to go back to the boat. So uh, that's why I thought they would burn the boat, in order to ensure that we know that these people are now on land and they have to survive on land. Because yep. now we don't know what happened to that boat. They didn't even talk about the fact that they were going to leave the boat. And they weren't even properly prepared to leave the boat. They were each carrying a smattering of some crap, like, pelican cases like why would you take a pelican case of whatever <laughs> well if it's a pelican case of weapons then you might need those you take the weapon leave the pelican case if you're on land yeah you don't need a very well waterproof case <laughs> i know that's you just true. don't need it <laughs> that's true you're not gonna go scuba diving with a with camera equipment that you don't want to get wet on land. No, you're not going to do On land. That. No. So leave the Pelican case behind. Anyway, so they left the boat. Boat is kaput. I don't think we're ever going to see them on a boat again. No, but probably not. My track record's not good. Not good. Just, Maybe, it's right, just not good. Right back on the boat next week, Jason. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be on the boat at the beginning of next episode. Oh, look. Abigail's get back again. <laughs> 
All right, everyone, we will take a quick break. And when we come back, as I said, we'll do some listener feedback for this episode. Stay with us. For listening to the Talking Dead podcast, everyone, if you'd like to support what we do here, there's a couple of easy ways to do that. The first is by visiting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the talking dead. You can make a small monthly pledge there. And uh, if you want to choose one of the reward levels, there's things like uh, stickers or a shout out on the show or even, you know, at the higher levels, you can tell us what to talk about on the show during the off season, during the hiatus. So check that out at patreon.com slash the talking dead or an even easier way maybe is to use our amazon links by visiting talkingdeadpodcast.com slash amazon and uh clicking on the country of your choice when you do all your shopping at amazon a tiny cut comes back to us and it doesn't cost you anything extra so you won't even know it's happening but it is a really great way to support the podcast so we appreciate every little bit of support Listener feedback. All right, time for some listener feedback. Sean on the internet writes us, Celia is like Herschel if he missed his stop and continued straight on to crazy town. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chris missed his stop. I also think this is the best episode so far, far right up there with the original walking dead. So there you go. It was a good episode. Pretty much agrees. Uh, Sheila, on the other hand, Sheila on Facebook writes, this was a totally dud episode. I hope it's going to get going for the mid season finale. So, I mean, fair enough. Everyone has their opinion, I guess. Um, I could see someone not enjoying this episode if, uh, if they were kind of more concerned with the problems you had, right. Where it wasn't clear why anyone was doing any of this stuff, uh, necessarily but I think it's all going to be explained in the fullness of time. Yeah. I mean, just, just walk up to somebody and say, why are you doing this? <laughs> right. That's it. That's all I want. It doesn't have to be a complex uh, way of describing what the character's motivations are through, uh, you know, classic storytelling mechanisms. Just have somebody walk up to them and say, Chris, why are you doing this? Why are you sneaking into the room right now? 
oh, I had to kill a guy with, whose spine was coming out of his back, and uh, that was very traumatic for me. So uh, I want everybody else to die. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> that's, you know, that's shitty, but thanks for the explanation. <laughs> thanks for letting me know. Uh, I'm going to put you in that room full of zombies in the basement now. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to. Yeah, we're going to have to tie you up. We got sorry to put you. Uh, all right, Adam. Also on Facebook writes, did you see how many implements of Zed dispatchery were located conveniently in one place for the survivors to use to defend themselves upon arriving at the church? No wonder no major characters have died thus far with that kind of luck seemingly every episode. Yeah, so what Adam's Adam's referring to is when they get to the church and the zombies come around the corner, Chris, actually, of all people, says like, hey, look out. And he starts throwing weapons to each other. So there's like baseball bats on the ground and machetes and boards with a nail in it and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So that that was obviously a weapon spawn point. No, it totally makes sense. Well, maybe it was a weapon spawn point. But remember, (laughs) these people were all leaving that church to go on a zombie killing parade. Yeah, but they were all picking up guns. Like there was a pile of guns when they were when they came out of the church to, to pick up weapons. Uh, okay, now but... there's a pile of knives. <laughs> it's funny how that happens. But I think the point is they were all getting their weapons ready. They all died, poisoned. They all fell down right there, became zombies, dropped their weapons in a pile, and that's why they were on the ground. Yes. So it makes sense. Weapon spawn point. Perfect. Fine. <laughs> Joel in Arizona writes, terrible episode. The amount of bad writing is astounding. So now Joel sent in a bunch of examples of his bad writing, but I chose these three um, to uh, to read. He writes, Madison telling Travis that they need to help Chris, only to have Travis getting upset with Madison saying that they need to help Chris? <laughs> that conversation was so poorly written, it made no sense. Oh, and now Chris is a psychopath killer. Logical progression from kid who couldn't handle talking to Reed without having a nervous breakdown just hours before or days before. Um, he also says random house servants with no other role in the plot, uh, than to control the group's possession of weapons and have more to say than strand. (laughs) So I don't know that bit with at the beginning where the, the house, the help, I guess the people came out to make them give their weapons away. That was a bit strange because they never showed up again in the episode. That was a bit odd. I don't know. I'm not sure I, I chalk it up to, to terrible writing. Um, there's obviously a staff here. There's there's a huge garden. There's people work in the garden. There's people work in the house. And Tom would have come out himself, I'm sure, but he was incapacitated. Yeah, he was laid up with his uh, cobra scar. Right, with his cobra bite. <laughs> uh, Joel finally says, Abigail asks Madison to watch over Strand and then is perfectly okay with Strand promising to kill himself moments later. Yeah, this is the problem I had. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I don't understand. Yeah, okay, as long as you're willing to kill yourself, then uh, I don't need anybody to take care of you because you're going to be dead too. So if I die, you die. I'm cool with that. Yeah. It does seem a little a little weird when you put it like that, right? Well, maybe Thomas didn't know that that's what, uh, you know, that the... That the uh, the communion wafers were poisoned. No, but he he kind of agreed to the fact that Strand would kill himself, right? Well, maybe it's, you know, plausible. Well, not plausible, but it, maybe it's just you never underestimate the human power of denial. 
right? right. Uh, you know, there's nothing for me here if you leave. It's like, yeah, yeah, platitudes, big deal. You know, I'm going to die. You're going to move. You're going to continue on. Everything will be fine. You know, he didn't outright say, I'm going to kill myself. It's just, I don't want to live without you. I mean, mm. that's a song, that's a lyric in, a, in many, many songs, I assume. It's at least a lyric in one song that I know of. But, uh, you know, I don't want to, you know, if if you're not here, I don't want to be here either. You know, it's it's uh, it's standard fare for uh, saying, you know, you don't want to go on without somebody. Yeah, yeah. So you're saying life. there could have been some confusion between Tom and yeah. Strand. Yeah, maybe Thomas just like, yeah, yeah, you're just talking out your ass here. So yeah, that's fine. You'll you'll move on without me. You'll find somebody else. You'll be happy, and that'll be nice. And everything will be know? okay. Yeah. yeah, okay, maybe. Let's let's say that's what happened. <laughs> sure. Uh, Troy on Facebook writes, I'm not sure that Chris is losing it like they want us to believe. He does beg Alicia not to tell, but when she challenges him with the what-if scenario, his reply is to say, sadly, I don't want to hurt anyone, and then he walks away. I don't think he was threatening her. I think he was just submitting, in a way, to the idea that she could tell, and if she didn't, if she did, people wouldn't like him. <laughs> I'm not sure why he went in the bedroom and picked up the knife. I really don't know if he was intending to hurt them or if he had something else in mind. But when the gunshot went off and he got caught with it, it made him look guilty. But I honestly don't think he was going to hurt anyone. I don't know, man. I... The more we've talked about it this episode, the more I think Chris is intent on doing some damage. You know, there, it's a good point that this uh, his motivations could be confused. He could have been saying, uh, you know, I don't want to hurt anyone. Not, I mean, not necessarily as a threat. I do actually think it was a threat, but I mean, it is yeah. possible that it wasn't a threat. And it is possible that he went in to pick up the knife for some reason other than stabbing one of the sleeping women that uh, he went to, well, I don't know what he went to do. I don't. I have yep. no idea why he got up and walked into that room. I have no idea why once he got into that room, he said, he said Alicia's name. Yeah. I have no idea after he said that why he went and picked up a knife. Well, the nice thing here is this is not the kind of thing they can just let go. So we will find out more about what's going on with Chris, I, yeah. I'm sure. Okay, good. Or they'll just kill him. And I'd be like, what the hell was that? Yeah. Next episode, they're going to be back on the boat and Chris will be dead already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have a tendency to skip over things sometimes on this show. They, yeah. They might just skip way over. It's like, what? But <laughs> I, dead? But I also think they've probably learned their lesson about skipping things. So they won't anymore. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Let's hope. Let's hope. Rowena on the internet writes, I'm bummed that Nick's going down the walkers are people to route. But it'll be interesting to see it from the point of view of an adult who seemingly doesn't have any mental illness and is just a gentle soul. They could do good things with this. The only other adult who held this belief was Herschel, I think, but that was because he hadn't been in the shit already. I don't think we've seen someone get to that point of view after having to survive. Mostly, I just hope Nick isn't another casualty of the you're too kind for this world sweet child <laughs> narrative that got Tyrese <laughs> that would be such a waste he's a great character yeah yeah so Nick has been been through some crap and he's all and he's still coming to this you know zombies are people too uh thing now he's being influenced which kind of supports his mother's worries but uh you know we'll we'll see um I don't want him to just you know go down because he's ends up not being able to kind of live in this, in this world. But as I said before, I think he feels better in this world. So 
he's going to be around for a while. Yeah. Well, well, maybe it's a zombies are people too. So it doesn't matter if I kill a living person or a zombie. I just kill whoever I want. That's right. I just enjoy the killing. <laughs> Makes no difference. None at all. Uh, all right. Let's see. Ken on Sacramento writes, I know we didn't see the trip our team took between leaving their boat and arriving at the church, but I think they forgot something. Their guns. What happened to all their guns? They had a lot of them on the boat, at least five handguns, Daniel's shotgun, Strand's submachine gun, and at least two uh, AR-type assault rifles, the one Luis brought and the one the redhead he shot was holding. By the time they got to the church, they only seemed to have Daniel's pistol. What gives? Did they forget to grab them? Did they use all the ammo and just drop them along the way? Do they just not want to be around firearms? However it happened, I blame Madison. (laughs) Well, it's probably Madison's fault because she probably said, leave the guns, grab those Pelican cases because we need to have properly protected camera equipment (laughs) on our walk to the safe house. You never know when you're going to need to take a quality photograph. Yeah. What if you don't have your 50 millimeter lens? You better bring it in a Pelican case. You got to bring it. Yeah. You know, what if you need a fisheye lens for something? It's certainly more, uh, more valuable than a submachine gun. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can just hit zombies over the head with your lens. Take pictures of them and run away. That's right. Hey, look, there's more. Let's take some photos, guys. <laughs> look at this one's really close. Yeah, the yeah. macro lens. Yep. Uh, Jenny in South Carolina writes, if Madison really thinks someone's trying to kill her and her daughter, why would she go to sleep with a weapon out in the open like that? Well, I realize it's early in the, po- in the apocalypse. She surely has some sense of self-preservation. I think what Jenny is saying is she should have at least took the knife and put it under her pillow instead of leaving it on the desk. Or put it in a drawer, put it underneath the mattress, lock the door, something. Lock the door would have been put a, nice put too. Put a dresser in front of the door. Or at least a chair tipped under the doorknob. I mean, come on. Yeah, tie a, tie a can to the doorknob. So it, yeah, uh, uh, makes noise. Yeah. Anything really. Yeah, anything. Anything except for what they did, which was leave a knife on the dresser and cuddle up and go to sleep. Yep. Yeah, it does does make a lot of sense. But then maybe she's not assuming that anyone is going to get up in the middle of the night and sneak in. Like, I know, sure, she's, they've had some issues in the last, you know, couple hours, but I think maybe she thinks Travis can can talk some sense into Chris, maybe. 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 And maybe keep him in bed. I don't know. <laughs> I, I always assume that somebody's going to kick down my door and come into my house. Well, it's happened to you, so. it's Well, it was the police. It did happen. I know. So I, I, that's all I'm saying. If it happens once, it could happen again. Exactly. All right. Two more that's emails. That's why I always tie a tin can to my door. Good idea. So you always hear the police coming. Actually, no, it's not a tin can, but the uh, the alarm system we have, uh, when you open the door, it beeps. Any any of the doors down in the on the main floor, mm-hmm. if uh, any of them open, it goes beep, 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 beep. So. Well, good. I, I know when somebody's coming into the house. Perfect. <laughs> As you should. Oh. Alan on the internet writes on the show tonight I wanted to say that I really felt bad for Alicia sure Strand lost his brother Luis uh, sorry Strand lost his brother Luis Luis's mother lost Luis countless lives were lost society has crumbled but that poor girl has not had TV in a couple of weeks poor thing yeah Yeah. no TV and then they I'm, I'm still sad about the dog no TV and zombie apocalypse make Alicia go crazy, crazy. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. Make me go crazy, crazy. I can tell you that. Absolutely. What would we I'd do? bring my iPad. I'd just like, oh my God, I got to leave the house. The zombies are coming. It's like, shit, I better download a bunch of movies onto my iPad so I have something to watch. <laughs> and knowing you, you'd probably bring it in a Pelican case, you hypocrite. <laughs> I do have a Pelican case for my iPad. See? It's not a waterproof one. It's just a small case. But <laughs> yes, I do. I do like my Pelican cases. That's for sure. Yeah. But, I, you know, in a pinch... I wouldn't bring the case. You're also a very I just carry what I need of from the case. You're also a very practical person. I am a practical person. So don't person. bring the case. Yeah. Uh, all right. Hoyt on the internet writes, so Strand is heartbroken, but he's not insane. I truly don't think it reflects badly on him choosing to live. Uh, I do wonder why he chose to do that, uh, why he chose to do what he did or if he intended to, but changed his mind at the last minute. Also, I have to say it was a very sweet and tender moment. I'm glad they didn't ruin it with zombie Thomas gurgling around the scene. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I waved my arms like a T-Rex while I said zombie Thomas. Yep. Um, I saw it. It was good. (laughs) Thanks, man. Thanks. Too bad this isn't on video. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for everyone for writing in. Fantastic episode. We've only got one more before the mid-season break. Um, and then we can take the summer off, although we won't take the whole summer off. We'll still be podcasting. We got stuff to do. Um, but next week, it's season two, episode seven. And uh, I'm going to say the title, and then I'm going to talk about it for a second. So if anyone doesn't want to hear the title of next week's episode or what I'm going to say about it, because that could be a little spoilery, um, you might as well just drop off now so I'll, I'll say thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week um but the title of next week's episode is shiva shiva yes and this is a little bit interesting for a couple of reasons one shiva is the name of a character in the walking dead comic oh. um and that character I'm not going to get into that character, but I'm, I will say that that character has not been introduced in the main show. So I think it's probably just a coincidence that they're using this name for the name of this episode, but you never know what they might pull from the, uh, from the source material or, you know, the original comic, which isn't technically source material for this show, but you never know what they might do. So um, I just think it's an interesting title for episode number seven. Uh, the other thing, of course, is that uh, Shiva is one of the main three gods in Hinduism, right? Yes. Well, I don't know about main, but it is, yes. Well, one of the three. I, lo- I looked it up, and it, it means— Okay, well, then you know more than me, right. so my agreement is completely pointless. Yes. Well, it's it means the auspicious one. And uh, according to Wikipedia, that is one of the main three deities in Hinduism. So that could totally be where this title is coming from, and it could have nothing to do with the character from the comic. But I just thought it was interesting, and maybe we'll find out next week. It could be from uh, Shiva Kameni from uh, from the League. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what their trophy is called or something? Yeah, the Shiva. Yeah. yeah. They have a whole song. <laughs> I stopped watching the league, but me you know, too. I miss it kind of <laughs> me. I kind of do too. Cause there was some really funny stuff early on in that show. So there was, yeah. uh, anyhow. Um, yeah. So, uh, Shiva next week on fear of the walking dead. And that is the last episode before the summer break, but, uh, we'll be back of course next Monday to talk all about it. Um, until then though, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so by visiting talkingdeadpodcast.com and clicking on the send voicemail link. 
You can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. Hey, someone tweeted earlier today, Jason, about um, uh, they said something like what really bakes my apple, which is right. which is the phrase you made up <laughs> last week or the week before. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I forgot about that. Yeah. Someone tweeted that at me earlier today. So uh, nice. Might be catching on. <laughs> I've uh, I've released something into the zeitgeist. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I'm not sure if we're there yet, but maybe if we can get this phrase going, bakes my apple. Yeah, that that really bakes my apple. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> should be should be fun. Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I don't know. Well, we're we're gonna have to let society determine that. Depends on how people use the phrase. It could probably be both in the end. Yes, you know. So. Anyhow, uh, where was I? So facebook.com slash the talking dead or talking dead on Twitter. Send your emails to talking dead podcast at gmail.com. And that is going to do it. Uh, this is going to be a fun one to edit since the internet cut out right in the middle, but, uh, I'll get her done. And, uh, until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. Oh, baby names. Do you want to talk about them? Well, I only have two baby names that uh, that I want to talk about. Bacon. Somebody suggested Bacon. That's a good baby name. That's a pretty good baby, uh, because everyone loves Bacon. I'm not allowed to name the baby after food. <laughs> I've already asked. Enchilada <laughs> spaghetti was uh, talked about. Was talked about. Taco. Yeah, that's right. That's Taco. Right. He's in the uh, he's in the league. Taco, that's right. There's a character in the league, so that uh, there's already precedent. I'm sure it's a television precedent, but what the hell? So. Taco was out. Bacon is out, unfortunately. Yeah. Yep. A lot of spaghetti is out. Yeah. Yeah. So food, no. I can't name the kid after food. Okay. Uh, and then uh, the other one I liked was uh, Gotham. Gotham. Gotham Miles. And the uh, the scenario was that uh, eventually your wife will wake up and say, Gotham needs you. <laughs> and that will never get old. <laughs> nope. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go upstairs and suggest that right now. Gotham. Pretty good. It, this Metropolis does not have the same ring. Metropolis no. needs you. Well, no, but no, it's, uh, yeah. Or whatever. Stupid. Gotham needs you. All right, Batman. Uh, that's going to do it.